Dylan. It's the end of term. I hope if you're Come listening on. to this on, on a Friday morning, it's your last day. You're driving into work, maybe. Just know this is your last day. You get six weeks off now to relax. You did it. And we've been off for two days already. So, oh, well And we have been loving it. I thought we were going to pretend that we're also in today. We're not. Yeah, they can see our suntan. We've been out in the sun the last <laughs> couple of days. Uh, just having a mini breakdown though, Hayden, that we didn't do the intro that we always do every single time. So if you wouldn't mind, I'm just going to jump in right now and say, hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Teach, Sleep, Repeat. My name is Dylan. And my name is Hayden. Thank you. Now I feel much more comfortable and you can carry on. I was going to do it. I was going to do it, but I actually knew that you would feel really uncomfortable if I went, hi everyone, welcome to Teach, Sleep, yeah. Repeat. My name's Hayden. That's, you, but you said the first, you, this just, I, you, that's enough said really, isn't it? Yeah. Well, maybe one day I'll get the limelight. I'll be lead anchor. It, yeah, it, you know, it's not even about the limelight, Hayden. If you've done it every single time ever since, like I'm the kind of guy who goes to a curry house and I get the same curry for the 15th time in a row. Mm. So, it, you know, it's it's that kind of a deal. Isn't that, isn't that just called being really, really boring? <laughs> good one, good one. And, and the great mm. thing about that is I know exactly what you would have said if we weren't on the podcast. So I can take boring, much more watered down. Thank you. Ooh, leave that one to the viewers' inference skills. <laughs> Infer as you will. Anyway, we've got an amazing podcast signed up for today. We're talking to the amazing Rob Smith, as you've seen from the title. Lots of excitement around this, Hayden, from people I've spoken to who can't wait to listen to his journey, uh, Building Literacy Shed, which I think a lot of people use in their schools. So it is a fascinating chat. But as always... We just want to have a little bit of a touch base with each other and with our listeners, our viewers, uh, whatever you want to call them. Hayden, the last week of school, um, I mean, I know you didn't want to go into much detail this week, but what what, what went on? Um, well, my week's been great. I don't want to say too much because next week, guys, I'm just saying this now, got a really juicy episode and I'm saving loads of funny bits, basically, for that <laughs> one. Uh, but I will talk about one thing and it is a story that involves you and I, Dylan, and I've been dying uh, to tell this story because it dying. is, <laughs> we, you'll, that will mean something in a minute. It is the most awkward I've ever, ever, ever seen Dylan. Now, Dylan, is quite an awkward person anyway in certain situations and you are Excuse me? you are you are you get well awkward <laughs> I, I, I don't know what you mean what <laughs> you, you just are oh, you're just awkward but this was so good it was it was a proper like a tv sketch moment so i was in the staff room the other, uh, on monday morning we had our little morning monday briefing and um morning monday briefing morning, <laughs> i know i'm doing a you here <laughs> i'm trying to think of a phrase you get wrong anyway so monday briefing and sat down on a chair dylan walks in and there were two members of staff in there, uh, both wearing a black dress, right? <laughs> and Dylan came in and someone commented on the fact that they're twinning and they're like, wait, the exact same black dress. And, uh, and he was like, oh, oh yeah, who's died? <laughs> Making a joke because they're both in black. Literally one of them is going to a funeral. That's why they're in the black. And, and I said, oh yeah, literally, uh, literally her granddad. So Dylan, make me uh, be a bit more sensitive there. And he went so red and felt so awkward. And it was just, it was such a perfect little moment that I got to relish in watching oh. him squirm out of that. You, you dug some sort of hole afterwards. I can't remember what you said, but I was thinking, stop, stop now. Stop, you've already... The only, the only thing I could think to do was to like double down and be like, aha, try and carry on the joke. Worst thing, don't do that. Don't carry on the joke <laughs> when it's real. Don't, oh. don't do that. No. So that's, to be honest with you, that's all I want to share about this week because it was just such a cringeworthy moment at your expense. I actually... I actually remember what I said. So oh. there was just one who was going to the funeral. So I turned to the other one and said, oh, well, why are you wearing black then? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, that's it. Just insult the other person. <laughs> oh, what God. am I doing? Why am I trying twice to oh. get it wrong? Yeah, it, it was it was terrible. And they're probably both listening. So sorry about that. Um, oh, yeah, sorry about that. We just did it again. So thanks, yeah. Hayden, for doing that double dose. Yeah, we, yeah uh, 
Yeah, oh, I'm really sorry on his behalf. The, I'm the, not taking the, blame. the good thing is, apps, you know, lovely people. Lovely knew knew it wasn't on purpose. Nothing malicious, was no, it? Nothing, nothing malicious. malicious. I just carried on double down afterwards because I was awkward. But then not you were being malicious. Alex. No, the first bit wasn't malicious. <laughs> Second bit was. <laughs> then I found out there was something to be malicious about, and I thought, oh, I'll go for that. Carry on. No, not at all. But, really um, awkward, and one of those one of those moments where you just don't want to be inside your own body. And I didn't know where to turn. I turned to you, and I was like, "Ha ha! Can you please say something?" <laughs> Um, I know you've got a story. Go on, tell us what's what's been going on. It's just a brief story because, like you, I think we'll just dive deeper into that kind of stuff next week. And uh, last week we talked about gifts, didn't we? And the <laughs> awkwardness of like posting your gifts and stuff. So I'm about to tell you all about my gifts that I got this week um, because there was a theme that came out. Um, essentially, men, if you're listening to this, you're a male pro- primary school teacher. You know the whole palaver. We've done a whole episode on being a male primary school teacher around the dress code and how it's very hot at the minute. And you know, formal shoes, socks, trousers, and shirt tucked in. It's a, quite a warm outfit. So I've been trying to think of ways to kind of push the boundaries as much as possible. And that included me wearing chinos, rolling up the bottoms, <laughs> having some kind of summery boat kind of shoes, and what seems like no socks, but in fact, those little pop socks you get, you know, that go around your toes and around your heel. Mm. So you actually are wearing socks. Okay? Once that fall off your heel seems- and roll down your... Foot. Do you ever get that? Exactly. That's why oh. you've got to get that gel. I've got ones that have gel at the back and it sticks to your skin. Oh, I it stays them. there. I hate them. Little bits of gel. Get the gel, mate. It won't fall down. Yeah. Get the gel. It stays exactly where it's meant to be. Anyway, well, you've got your extremely sweaty skin, so I can see why it doesn't work for you. Um, but uh, so I'm, wear- I'm wearing that, and it, obviously, whenever a man comes in wearing something different, it becomes quite a thing, doesn't it? It's like, oh, look at your ankles. Well. And you, you come in. You asked me the other day, can I lick your ankles? I'm like, what are you on about? It's like, well, well, I can see them. It's like a good one. Really good, good joke. Well oh, done, Hayden. I was trying to make you laugh. Yeah, it was, it was, it was relatively funny. But you know, when you're like the seventh person in a row to comment on the fact that I'm wearing sandals, I'm like, I'm so, I'm they're not even sandals. Have you seen what? Some, like <laughs> this person's wearing a vest with some flip flops on. Like, can I not wear some boat shoes, please? Like, it's quite hot. I can't help it. You know, those those sweet little ankles out. I just wanted to make you feel really self conscious. <laughs> well, bloody work, Hayden. Well done. Anyway, so one of the teachers uh, taking it upon herself to uh, make a point of the fact I need some socks for my upcoming 30th birthday, which is very soon. I was like, okay, brilliant. Anyway, so I come in the next day on my table, a five pack of Primark socks, which are bright blue, bright red, all these crazy patterns. I was like, ha ha ha, good one. It turns out as well, uh, I heard from someone else in school that she's been spreading the good word with the parents of my class that I need some <laughs> socks. <laughs> so I come into school and I have at least three parents have given me gift to me socks. Um, some some novelty. Some I've got them on right now. I was going to um, show the viewers. So here's something you might want to do okay. if you're not on YouTube or on Spotify. I'm going to try and get my leg up to the size of my uh, to the to the height of my head right yeah, now. Good so luck. That way, uh, quite. Yeah. So Hayden, can you just like entertain people while I'm trying to just get into position? Yeah, I, guys. If there's lots of weird cuts here, it's because Dylan's taken 17 attempts to get his leg up and show the sock. Oh, oh luckily it's the wrong side. He's shown the wrong <laughs> side of his sock after all that. So I've been entertaining you for you know 10 seconds now. Here he comes again. Look at him gurning trying to move his leg look at him oh the struggle right dylan i like do you want me to tell them what's on your on your sock or i'm gonna might keep him there a little bit longer actually if you're watching he's struggling a lot please please um, if, if you can hear me please <laughs> so tune in to the to the video uh you can check us out on <laughs> no, i'm not really i'm not gonna do our socials i don't know them anyway because they're all different there's a gherkin a gherkin sorry on his sock and uh dylan will explain why have you told them why your gherkin you did didn't I you? don't know did you not I don't know if I've told the children I've told the children I don't know if I've told the teach sleep repeat massive mm, as we okay. like to call them brief story 
Um, very, very brief story. When I was younger, I played cricket and uh, I went out to bat and my coach had a McDonald's burger. Didn't like the gherkin. Thought, where can I put this? Put it on top of my helmet. <laughs> I went out to bat. We played very well that game. We won the match. From then on, I was known as Gherk. I was known as Gherkin. <laughs> I thought, you know, at the start of the year, getting to know your class, the kids will love this. They'll love this story. Mm. So I told them it. Uh, children called me Mr. Gherkin for about six weeks. There were some children who did it funnily, but then some children after three or four weeks who yeah. literally felt like they'd forgotten that my name was Mr. Price and they'd come up to be like, Mr. Gherkin, I'm, I'm a little bit stuck on my work. Like it wasn't <laughs> a even a serious thing. question. Like, it was yeah. Just, yeah. just a serious question. Not, not even trying to make, a, make me laugh. Just like, I'm really stuck on my work, Mr. Gherkin. I was wondering if I just, if I just did this instead. I was like, okay, so this is the thing. First yeah. parents evening, I had at least four parents come up to me and say, oh, I've heard all about you, Mr. Gherkin. And I was like, cool, brilliant, brilliant. start to the year. It's stuck all year. And I've had socks with burgers on because gherkins are in burgers. I've had socks now, obviously, with a massive gherkin just <laughs> doing a dance on the side. So it's really stuck, which is lovely. Um, but yeah, uh, there's a whole sock theme going on because, I don't know, I like to not be swelteringly hot in the heat, you know? But today I promised I'd wear one of the socks and it was the, the gherkin one got the nod. It did look good. I was quite happy to see you flashing your ankles today with the gherkin socks, you know, stretched across them. They look brilliant. Okay, don't get, don't get too much of a sweat on seeing my ankles, mate. <laughs> well, you got a sweat on trying to show your ankles, so... <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. That, that footage is going to live on. I'm going to screenshot that and put it on our Instagram, which you can find at Teach Sleep Repeat Podcast. <laughs> Go on, do them all. Do them all. Where's the socials? Keep going. Teach SR Podcast on Twitter and threads. And you can Gmail us on our email. That is on Gmail at teachsleeprepeatpodcast at gmail.com. Well done. Anyway, Hayden. We're stalling here. We've got an amazing chat coming up. We always do this. We chat and chat and chat. They aren't here for us this week. It's a purple thumbnail. They're not here to talk to us and listen to us. They're no. here to listen to Rob. No, exactly. I'm delighted to be introducing uh, a very important man who's joined us today, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Rob Smith, um, who most of you will probably know from Literacy Shed. Rob, thank you so much for joining us today. How are we doing? Oh, very good. Yes, I'm still in work. I'm still in the literature shed offices, and uh, I've just been wrapping birthday presents for the last hour and a bit. So I said, uh, I said to my wife, I'll stay at work and I wrap all our seven-year-old <laughs> birthday presents for his birthday on uh, Saturday. So that's what I've been doing. So it's just uh, it was a nice little segue into this uh, podcast. <laughs> oh, amazing. So you managed to get some jobs done, but not actually get home. <laughs> yeah, I've home. Perfect. It's literally a thousand meters down the road, so I could walk home, but uh, some things to do. Oh, that's cool. That was going to be yeah, my next I'm... question. How close are you from your from your offices? But you, you clearly uh, you got that down to a T. We, I was one of those people that moved out who got an office during lockdown because I've got three boys. So they, they were like, at the time, they would have been four, six and ten-ish. And um, I used to shout in the morning, I'm going to work, bye, and then lock myself in my home office. <laughs> they, they soon uh, they get used to that. So this office came up for rent, which is literally an old mill, about a, about a thousand metres from the house. So I walked down in the morning. It's quite nice. That's perfect for you then. It looks like you've got another desk behind you as well. So it's not, not just you here, not, not too alone. There's four in here. There's another office next door with seat six. Oh. Well, hopefully we can um, we can dive into that kind of, you know, the, the ins and outs of this, because I think it's a really popular uh, online portal and, and where a lot of teachers access it. So it'd be nice to kind of, you know, peek under the cover and, and how it all works. Um, but before we do that, 
I do like to come in and just do my very, very unique game, Rob, which is I simply say a word and you have to just simply say your first reaction. <laughs> and we've done it a few times with uh, other guests. We always do an example with Hayden. So, for example, if, if I said um, to Hayden, uh, shampoo, his first reaction to that word would be uh, unnecessary. Mm. Exactly. So <laughs> it's just whatever you think your first reaction is. Um, again, don't overthink it because we have sometimes people think phrases. Oh, I don't know. I don't want to say the wrong thing. No problem. Just the first thing that comes into your head. Are you all good? Yeah. Okay, let's do it. Okay. 10 things. Here we go. Writing. Bob. I agree. Reading. Also fun. Yeah, that's absolutely yeah, yeah. fine. They're both fun. That's absolutely fine. Hayden put this one in. It interested me. Uh, TikTok. I've, I've never used it. Uh, yeah, oh, I'm with you. I'm with you. I find it odd. TikTok. Yeah, okay. I like Maybe Hayden can come in after us just to wipe it in because I saw it and I thought, okay, I'll go with it. Yeah, there's a reason. Uh, next one. Schemes of learning. Useful. Hmm. Uh, maths. Tricky. <laughs> I'm getting a, getting a vibe here. Uh, sats. Misused. Oh, good. I like that answer. Teacher well-being. Important. Yep. This was a controversial one. I snuck it in there. Strikes. Necessary. He's one of us, Hayden. He's one of us. Uh, TAs. <laughs> I was going to say salt of the air. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. I love that. And the last one, it's always the same. So we'll know what's coming, all the listeners. Ofsted. Uh, I was going to swear then. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's the answer. No, I was going to say one more. Misused. Yeah, yeah, enough. yeah, absolutely. That, that's a um, much nicer that version of what you were thinking, what maybe we were all thinking. <laughs> that's fair enough. I will just dive into TikTok very quickly and then I'm going to ask you about your sats answer. Um, I, the reason I put TikTok in there is I thought it'd be interesting because I, I know you've got younger children as well and you probably know that TikTok is so rife at the moment. I find it is anyway with as a year six teacher with kids at school. Like it's such a problem to us sometimes as well, like with children trying to use it in school and it's all they want to do and talk about. So I, I don't know if, you know, with young children yourself and also being involved in the educational world, if you've ever come across any issues with it. Um, so my eldest is 13. He's, we've had a couple of issues, just where when he was a bit younger, saw things that we wouldn't necessarily want to see. Um, he don't use it very often. He's more of a Snapchatter, WhatsApp mm. type person and PlayStation chat. Um, you know, some of the things that I think gets on my nerves about, not gets on my nerves is the wrong word, but frustrating with it is that they're experimenting. They're 13, you know, but they were, I saw a chat the other day where him and his friends, they're all lovely lads, but they're all swearing on, um, it was a PlayStation chat, which pops up on my phone and they're all swearing. And I said to him, that's written down. I said, all it takes is for someone's mum to Snapchat it, send it to school or to your parents, everyone sees it. I said, but when we were children, we were, we were experimenting in a bus stop or under a lamppost in the rain, and we'd still do the same swear words, but nobody else could hear it or see it. So they've got to do all this stuff that we were doing private or in the middle of a field or face-to-face. -face. They're doing that in a public forum that anyone could take and manipulate. And for me, that's the issue, not the, you know, some of the things they're doing um, can be manipulated, taken out of context, 
and used against them. So that's the thing that frustrates me about it when, it, when they do silly things like that. It's there forever. That was my next point. It's there forever, isn't it? And I think some of the children at school, I always try to get that point across. And they just go, ah, whatever. You know, they don't they don't really seem to listen. But I do worry sometimes that they're just getting themselves. You know, like you said, there's content on there that maybe isn't appropriate for them. And I find it a, a battle personally talking to children and even families sometimes um, trying to convince them that maybe, you know, maybe there should be some restriction here. So that's why I'd chuck that one in. But more interestingly, um, when, when I asked that, when Dylan said sats, um, you, you gave an interesting answer about sats. What... Could you could you expand a bit more into your feelings around SATs and how they're misused? I just think it's the whole accountability thing. I think children need to be tested and low stakes testing is fine. Even end of year summative testing, just to give you a check and gap testing or whatever, that's fine. But then to use it for high schools to set, using it to test progress at the end of year 11, to check, check progress against EYFS, it's just not a very good measure, is it? And then all that pressure on teachers that may may exist in some schools doesn't exist in other schools. Uh, it's just it's just too much. So yeah, do a test, do that reading test. Just don't make it the be be all and end all of the whole of their school career. A single reading mm -hmm. test about bees or about caving. That's <laughs> the last one I marked. Dingley Dale. Don't forget the bees. Um, but I just. Yeah, test them, it's fine. Do a writing test if you want, but just don't use it as this is just some of your school in it by the age of 11. Mm. It's such a good point because with, with test, sorry Hayden, but with testing, I've always found it a really interesting conversation because I've struggled when people jump straight to abolish the SATs, like abolish the idea of testing, too much testing in key stage two, because I think testing in general has such a, a good place in our in our you know profession in terms of like you said filling in gaps and seeing what children can do so i i think there's like a middle ground where most people i think are but you do get those extremes on either side don't you of maybe the government saying it's the only way to do this and then other people saying no we can't do it at all i think if we just scrapped sats it would be to the detriment of our children to be honest with you all that idea of testing rather but i guess they like to be tested though you know if kids like quizzing Kids, you know, they like watching quiz programs on TV. They'll do quizzes. They get tested all the time on computer games, on the PS5s. They're being tested every day. Can you get better than the score you got yesterday? Can you beat the score you did yesterday? So it's not an abhorrent thing for them to be tested. Just it's just that pressure that they're put on by parents as well, just not by teachers and SLT and Ofsted or ever, but also by parents who I think just sometimes don't understand. When I taught year six, they were like, well, it needs to get this test mark. And I'm saying, you're the only person pushing it. No one else is that moment. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, it's just about that accountability thing, I think, is misused quite a lot. And especially when it's all part of the year six teacher in September, and, you know, and it's, their, so it's true. their progress report at the end of it. Have you got this many children? And I should say, I it's a key stage two paper. Yeah, isn't it's it? everybody. So, Rob, um, I, I've been a big fan of you for a long time uh, and, and the things you've done. So, you know, uh, it's really nice for me to be sat here right now talking to you. But I don't, you know, I don't want to come across like that, you know, in the podcast. But what I want to get... Too late. <laughs> yeah, what I really want to ask you really here, I suppose, is for, for our listeners, I imagine a lot of our listeners uh, will know you uh, or know of your work. But we also have a, quite a few uh, listeners who aren't in the teaching world as well, who are just interested in hearing sort of insights into this kind of completely different world to maybe what they work in. Um, so I was hoping we could just dive back into your life a little bit and maybe go a bit back in time 
uh, and just find out, you know, your roots in, in the teaching world. Where did you begin? You know, were you a primary school teacher at the start um, before you dived into sort of literacy, literacy shed world? How did it all start for you? Yeah, I was a private school teacher. I um, went to do my A-levels. And at the same time, I was playing rugby league uh, for Salford City Reds. I was in the A-team academy, then the A-team, hey. the under-21s. And um, I think I was doing, I wasn't doing a PA level. I was doing chemistry and history, I think, are the ones that I dropped for PE when my uh, PE teacher, well, rugby coach said, because you played for Great Britain, you get an automatic A in your practical, automatic A star. And that means you don't have to take the exam, you'll still get a C. So <laughs> the, 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 uh, Amazing. I dropped history of French and chemistry and <laughs> PE and English <laughs> instead. And um, then it came to end of A levels. I was one of those boys that didn't really know what to do. I'd done some work experience in a solicitor's office, office and hated it. Um, I thought I could play rugby, but then rugby league salaries were about, I think they were about 10 grand a year at the time. So I thought I'd go to university. And uh, yeah. I was going to go be a PE teacher, secondary. And the PE staff at sixth form said, I think you'd like primary. So I said, well, I should think that. And I'd, so I don't know who's because I didn't think I was very good at PE. Uh, <laughs> so I went to primary. Thought, Maybe you could do a bit of everything. Yeah, I'm going to try it. And it was one of those, Oh, you'll be ahead in 10 years. You know, that type of conversation that's happened yeah, yeah, with yeah. men that want to go be primary school teachers. And so um, loved it. So I went and I was at Northampton Uni for four years, did a B.Ed. with primary education specialism. And uh, yeah, I got my first job at NQT in Kettering in Northamptonshire. And I was there for three years. Loved it. You know, did said yes to everything. Did the um, after school clubs, knitting club, multi sports club, everything. <laughs> if anybody said to me do this, I said yeah. Um, I went to a PTA PTA meeting, and the head said, "Just come. I need another teacher with me to come." So I went to a PTA meeting where the head uh, proposed me to be the chair of the PTA. And someone seconded it, and no one voted against it. So I became the chair of the as a single fella just straight out of university. So uh, yeah. it was just so I could go to the events and lock up after the discos and stuff, I think. Yeah, but, literally. He just thought, this is a guy who's going to say yes. Come along, mate. Come on. Yeah, so was just, it was just one of those things. It was a really um, deprived area. The kids were amazing. Um, I was a year six NQT. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. Cool. That's a tough start. Uh, it was great. So I remember the first day, he said, oh, it's, it's a bit, I think the head said, it's a bit rough around here. We had an armed siege last year. And we had to take all the children away from a gunman through the playground into the park at the back with ladders over the over the playground. So that was the type of school it was. <laughs> so, wow. Um, what, uh, I mean... what area should I avoid? Sorry, what area was this? I was in Kettering. <laughs> yeah. Kettering's a lovely place. Kettering. just this. Okay. Just, I think, yeah, one street. I bet it's lovely now. <laughs> this was 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah. What an introduction to teaching, though. So signed up to the PTA, dumped into year six, and, to, uh, you know, made to be careful of, of um, armed yeah. trains. <laughs> hey, well, it, was, um, it was that school where Jay Considine was the school improvement officer. That's it. Ah, was yeah. It? She came in. It's a small world. I was in QT and she was delivering English lessons in my classroom with me. So, yeah. Oh, no way. Yeah, 20 oh, years goodness. or something. So... 
Do you um do you remember? I just want to touch back on what you said because I remember that exact moment as well where primary was kind of not pushed on me but kind of suggested. I never really thought to myself, I'm going to be a primary school teacher. Uh, I kind of fell in and did history at, at university. Uh, went to my secondary school to watch some history lessons because I thought, oh, well, I might become a history teacher because what else do you do with a history degree other than teach history? Uh, so I went into my secondary school and as part of that, I had to do five days in a primary school and I don't know why. I really, I don't know why. And I thought, do I have to? And someone said, oh, just go along, just go and do it. And it's that weird moment when I stepped in and I just thought the vibe and the feeling was completely different. And just it was just this this moment where I realized oh this is what I want to do and was it as quick as that for you or did you take a bit of convincing I think I just yeah I think I just that's what I was gonna do and because I, I couldn't yeah. I didn't have any other things in my mind what I was going to do and then I just started looking at universities that did primary education I've literally had no other fallback really and the subjects that I'm taking yeah. were all you know English lit well, what do I do? Mm. Do you know? It's not like, oh, I've done chemistry, I'll be a chemist, or I've done French to be a <laughs> yeah. linguist. It was like, I've done English lit and PE and sociology. <laughs> what yeah. So you could be the head of a PTA. That's, that's that it. That's it, it, yeah. Done, so, <laughs> yeah, it was the best thing I've ever done. I mean, I always have lots of lads I played rugby with at university went on to become primary school teachers afterwards because I don't know what to do. And I said, go be a primary school teacher, it's amazing. It is one of those jobs, isn't it? It, Like a lot of people from all different walks of life can go into it. And if anything, we encourage that because we want, you know, we actively need people in this profession from all different walks of life. Well, similarly to Dylan, I was in this, like I I went to university as well. I went and did film, radio and television. So, you know, nothing like his history degree (laughs) and got to the end of that. And I was like, cool, I am, I am not cut out for this world in London of like (laughs) filming and things like that. And uh, I just volunteered at a school and it's the same sort of thing. Within a, a couple of weeks, I was like, this is really cool. Like I, I remember just working with a child and and I helped them just as simple as that. I helped them with something and then they got something. And I was like, wow, that was a nice feeling. That was cool. Like I've never had this before. And then I was just, yeah, I just hooked and, and went and did a PGCE straight in, straight in the game, never left. <laughs> <laughs> and now here we are striking. <laughs> so something's gone wrong. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I did just want to jump in there, Rob, and kind of make that link because it is really interesting. We're, we're talking about how we started here. We're, oh, it's such an amazing world. And I still think the job's fantastic. And I know you obviously still love uh, what you did back then working with the children, but we're in a situation now where all three of us, we're not full-time teachers anymore. So we've we've made that transition from a job that we sit and say we love. What what kind of how did you end up in this situation as you know the the guy who founded EdShed and Literacy Shed and what made you kind of make that jump? Was it accidental or was it really a focused path where you thought I need something else here? Yeah, accidental. I was um, teaching. I come back up north. All my friends started leaving university, uh, moving away. I split up with my partner that I'd been with at university. She'd uh, split up. And, <laughs> and so we just, I said I'd go back and live back up north with my parents, um, which lasted a few days till I moved in with my nan. She wasn't bothered what time I went out and came in. Ah, uh, brilliant. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I lived with my nan for a few for a few years and taught back up in, um, in the northwest. So I got my first job in Haywood near Manchester, uh, near Rochdale. And um, I was a year six teacher for a while. Then I was a year five teacher back into year six um, where I met my wife. So we're still married. And um, okay. it was one of those, it was a Christmas party. And then we you know, did our marking over a bottle of wine and things like that. Um, <laughs> and then in that school, we had an Ofsted. And Ofsted came and 
uh, viewed my lessons. There was a writing lesson that they thought was inadequate, uh, followed by oh, a wow. lesson, which they also said was inadequate. And um, the head teacher still tells a story that I threw stuff at Ofsted, which wasn't true. Um, so I went and argued my case, and they said, we didn't do any reading. And I said, you were in there after the reading. We read a section of Harry Potter. We were writing um, portal stories. So oh, a bit yeah. of Harry Potter, the port key section. Uh, use a little bit of a video clip where he apparates. Um, mm. I said, oh, yeah, you did do reading. You didn't do any writing that lesson. And I said, well, because of a quirk of the timetable, of a two-hour English lesson on a, whatever day it was, I said, so you missed the writing. You weren't in the lesson for the writing. Mm. And she said, well, you could have done much writing in that lesson. So I went and got the books, and the children had written, some of them had written four sides of A4. And I remember the face, she went, <laughs> she looked through the books like that. She went, you did all that in this lesson. So she said, still inadequate. I said, right, okay. What about the French? And he said, oh, that was inadequate because you were repeating some of the language you did last week in French. And I said, and because that's how it works. So I said, we're looking at how to buy things in a shop. And last week we were buying um, vegetables. And this week they're practicing that same language, but but um, they're buying fruits. And uh, he said, oh, yeah, both inadequate. So I like, Can you... Can you... That's crazy. Sorry, can you imagine in any other lesson saying, oh, I need to plan this, but I can't say any words that I've said in the previous one. Oh, just, like, where does the progression go? I just gobsmacked. I just I literally gobsmacked. And not long after that, um, they came and it was a new head and they said, um, have you got your contract? And I said, contract? They said, uh, yeah, your contract. We've stuck it down as um, well, temporary. I've been there three years. What? No. And so we think the old head didn't fill out any forms properly. I was like, right, okay. I did have a contract. I said, but I definitely had one because the day I got made permanent, I got, got a mortgage for a house. Um, yeah. They said, oh, you have to apply for your job then. That's what they said. And so I, what? It felt like constructive dismissal type thing. So yeah, I said, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, I applied for my job. So what I did is I applied for lots of other jobs in different places. And the day of my interview, there was two of us gone, got to interview. And on a day of the interview, I said, oh, I'm not going to come for interview. I've got a new job. Oh, <laughs> that's hilarious. And then, I love that. Play them at their own and game. And then they said, have you got a job without a reference? And I was like, because I used other people for reference. <laughs> because you've screwed me over, basically. And, wow. um, I don't know how much of this you can leave in the podcast, but I'm not naming any day. No, so, no, as much as you want, uh, mate. As much as you what want. What we think happened was that those SLT then phoned the school where I'd got a new job. I should have been starting on the first day after Christmas. And that school phoned me on the last day before Christmas and said, we don't want you anymore. No. Uh, I'd met my class. I'd met my new year three class. And they said, so I phoned them up on the last day and said, oh, you've not told me if it's a Monday back or a Tuesday back. And they said, oh, if you've not had our letter, we don't want you anymore. No way. Uh, last day before Christmas. So then I had to apply for more jobs. Yeah, so, I mean, do, so, that's crazy. So I had from Christmas till the February without a job, basically. I'd got a new job, um, another, another school that I got without a reference with that school. And they, um, and so in that time, when I'd been working at the school, I had a blog that was called Mr. Smith's Weekly Teaching Ideas at, was it on Posterus? Posterus.com, which was an old, Oh, I way yeah. before WordPress. I was thinking about 2008, <laughs> 9 years. 
Uh, and people read it, like thousands of people, tens of thousands of people a week were reading the blog. And I was just basically saying, this is what I taught today. This is the resources I use. This is the writing we got out of it. Uh, this is a nice visual thesaurus. Just little things like that. It wasn't like a massive pedagogical approach. It was just basically mm. what I'm doing in my lessons. And I started posting the film clips on there that I was using. I started using film clips really on in, early on in my career from like, I think the first one I used was um, the, the trailer for Brave, Pixar's Brave. So that tells you when that, I don't know, oh, okay. yeah, that came out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah wow. And I started posting the film clips of what I'd done with it and then showing the writer. And so I decided in that half term that I had before I started my new job to turn it into a website. And that was it. Oh, so wow. Literacy Shed was, was born in those like six weeks between Christmas and February. Yeah. I, I feel like I remember. So all of, all of that kind of came around, didn't it? Sorry. Like that's amazing how that story of you at the time must have been so annoyed at that kind of treatment. I can imagine exactly how I'd feel. And then you look back now and you're like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> this other thing happened because of it. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I'd love, I'd love for him to have still been ahead. And I could have just, you know, in confidence gone. <laughs> you, yeah. you, you'll see when they they purchase on your uh, you get an email blank 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 has purchased literacy well, plus and you'll just let that the thing is that the school of that the first the original school that did that the teachers used to use it in secret they used to cut things they used to cut the they used to cut it off in secret yeah they used to all tell me they always go here's your planning but we cut the bottom off the planning and stuff like that <laughs> oh my god yeah they, they cut the inadequate off off at the bottom it. yeah the offset well, yeah. said that writing unless it was inadequate and i sell it around the world oh i love that so much that and like you funny. just leave comments on the blog and you just get one comment every time inadequate like you know that is someone who doesn't know what they're talking somebody about. wrote a new report i mean i don't bother yeah no I, th I think that's a great co-op story i love stuff like that because do you know what this is one of those professions where uh people get a really rubbish deal sometimes i've noticed that from you know the facebook groups that we're all in and we you know we see each other sort of commenting on the things and some people are just just have a rubbish time and not necessarily at their own fault in any way and i think it's good for any listeners out there who are maybe just going for a rough patch in teaching to hear that you know what it's not it's not the end of the end of the game it's not the end of your story there are other options out there and sometimes it's not just you like don't always take it so personally i certainly could have done with some of that advice earlier on in the career like don't take it all personally i mean i was that one who put my hand up you know when they said why are you all marking in black pen in maths i'd say because you said just to mark in pink and green in our lessons but marking black in maths and they said we didn't and i'd be like i've got it written in my diary here look staff meeting you said this they said we didn't say that and i'd be like but you did and i get called to the office then you're arguing i'm like yeah just reading out my, my meeting notes you know and they would just they would just say things like we didn't say that like we had vac training and i was like why are we doing vac training it's been um it's been debunked and they were like it hasn't and i'm like right okay so it was me that it's probably my fault that I wound them up every time <laughs> yeah. no but but here's the thing rob we we need people to do that because I, i've been in those staff rooms as well previously where you sit there and i think 80 90 of people not because they're, they they don't want to rock, I guess they don't want to rock the boats rather. And they don't want to be seen as the person to kind of say something which we all know is true. You had that moment where you, like what you said there, we're all sat in a room, 20 of us, knowing something is true. And we're being told, literally gaslighted in front of us as professionals that know it's not true. And they know that nine out of 10 people won't dare to say anything. And it's people like you and people, I think what Hayden and I have grown into a lot more being confident and being able to say, no, 
here are the receipts. Like it's literally right here. I, I, I take great joy in finding an email from six months ago. And I will literally just go through the chat. If Hayden says something. He does like, it to me all the time. Oh, um, all the time. <laughs> He'll say, oh, um, I don't think I ever said that. And I'll literally on Messenger. I'll be like, okay, one yeah. second. I'm con- constantly and I'll find reading. it from like 2019. I'm like, oh, actually, you said that. You need that. too many pencils, can't get any more pencils. And I'd be like, oh, I've got like four left in my classroom. And he'd be saying, oh, yeah, but we haven't got any though. And I'd say, right, okay. But I've literally got nothing to write with. And then I'd take the books on a Friday and say, here's my books for this week. You're going to have a look through them. I've not done any work in them. And then like, yeah, and they yeah, order yeah. like 4,000 pencils. And I'm like, well, that must have cost you about 600 quid. You could have just bought three packs of pencils. <laughs> yeah. It's just like that. You know, my, that stuff. my favorite, my favorite analogy on the same sort of light of that is the glue sticks. Because obviously, you know, according to teachers, there's a national shortage of glue sticks every moment of every year. Um, and it's constantly, you know, a, a meme, isn't it, in the teaching world that no one has any glue sticks. And I just find it so funny when, and not even just my own experiences, but re, you know, uh, reflect on everybody when when start SLT say things like, "Well, you know, you've had your glue sticks, and we can't get any more now until X date." And it's like my response and my thought to that is, "Do you want the books to look nice? Because I'm not using these glue sticks for me. Like I promise you, I'm not taking these home. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't even care, really, to be honest with you. But if the, we have a policy of these books looking a certain way, I need more glue sticks. I just find it funny when it gets thrown back on the teachers as if it's their like personal decision to well, use my, the resources. My thing was always just be reasonable. So they say like, I went to a school, you had to hand your planning on a Monday, and then you had to hand in your annotated planning again the following Monday with your new planning. So you had to hand in your planning twice. And they'd be like, well, there's no PPA this week. And I'd say, but, so you don't want us to hand in the planning this week? Oh yeah, we still want to hand in the planning. <laughs> there was any PPA, so I'm not doing it. And I would just won't do it. Yeah. Say, where is it? I said, we think there was any PPA time. So I, <laughs> I, did. I think you need to be bolshy sometimes. I think yeah, you do, but, I really do. You know, and I, if they were it, I'd they'd say, oh, you're not allowed to go to the dentist in, in, in teaching time. And I'd say, well, the deputy head went on Tuesday. And, oh, oh. <laughs> it's like, just, just be fair with everybody. Say, you are allowed to go, or you're not allowed to go. And if you do go to deputy head, don't tell everyone you've got a dentist. Or I've got a dentist. It's just, yeah. just not on, is it? If, if you're going to abuse your position, do it quietly. I'd say you can say, nobody would bat an eyelid if you said, I was on a... I was at a CPD course. I was working from home, so I had to do some data work quietly. But don't say no one had to go to the dentist. Then come in and say, I was at the dentist. <laughs> yeah. Like that kid who comes in, they've had a day off, and they come over her court, and they say, what was up with you yesterday? And they say, oh, I've, uh, I was really ill. But you went to the <laughs> I've got an interesting story for this. Reminds me of something that happened fairly recently, right? And I just, I've never shared this. It was very bizarre. Um, I had a, a child come in who was off the day before. And I just, as always, I'm never like trying to catch them out. I just said, oh, you're all right. You know, everything all right? Were you poorly? No, what was up? You know, you weren't in yesterday. He went, yeah. Just went, uh, went to a skate park. <laughs> this was honestly recently. And I was a bit sort of like, okay. I wasn't really expecting that. I said, you, it was a school day though. You, what, why were you at a skate park? Oh, it's just my bro's birthday. We just went to a skate park. I was like, okay. okay. And I left it there. I was thinking, well, I'm not going to, it's not the child's, you know, it's not their responsibility really to do this. And um, 
so, so I spoke to the head and, and, and they rang the parent just to catch, you know, just to see what was going on. Uh, and, and they were like, what? No, he didn't. He was poorly. I don't know why he, he keeps doing this. He keeps randomly lying to like to get me <laughs> to get like make me feel awkward and put me in these positions. He absolutely didn't go to a skate park. He was in bed all day. <laughs> and then he, he was at the skate park. The next day. He was at the skate park. He was at the skate park. <laughs> <laughs> the, the next day, the, the, the kid, I, when I questioned it, he was like, yeah, I just thought it'd be funny to say that. I was like, what, what are you doing, man? Like, you're the opposite of how this is supposed he's to work. He's that kid. He's that kid when he's older. He'll be going to the dentist, uh, making sure everyone knows about it. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, it made no sense. Anyways, Rob, um, you, you were talking about Literacy Shed. And I remember, oh, I don't know, it must be eight years ago, nine years ago. So it would have been near the sort of beginning of Literacy, literacy Shed, uh, I guess, a couple of years in. And I remember being an NQT and... Uh, which is a newly qualified teacher for those those listening because I'm terrible at not explaining my acronyms <laughs> and things. Um, I was an NQT and I remember coming across Literacy Shed and thinking, oh my God, this is amazing. Because like you, I really like using visual resources, whether it's a picture or, or, or a video, even better. And I can't remember what video it, it was that I watched. Uh, I think it was like a war a war related one, something to do with like paper, like writing a letter and, and oh, within yeah. the letter, it turns into the war, something to do with that. And it was... Like as an NQT, it, it at that point it was the absolute best writing I'd ever got out of out of anyone. Um, so I was really grateful for that. But since then, obviously, Literacy Shed has you know has evolved much more. And I was hoping you could just maybe give us a rundown for, for a start. We can dive into it a bit more later of like what has changed over the last decade because it's it's been just over a decade now, as far as I'm aware, since Literacy Shed was born. So it was born out of the fact that YouTube was banned in all schools. Remember, every you know, yeah, yeah. banned YouTube in every single school. Uh, it was born out of that, really. And so I just wanted to play so they would play the videos. So I used to just find videos on YouTube, ask if I could put them onto a website for teaching. And if, if they got back to me and said, yeah, I'd put them on. If they got back to me and said, no, I wouldn't put them on. If they didn't get back to me, I'd put them on. So <laughs> I love that. Um, so I know and people have come back to me since and said, Oh, that's brilliant if websites but I came across it, I found your email four years later, it's fab and you know, things like this. So there are student videos, we're not for a commercial property anyway, so not really you don't really mind you just promoting them to be honest, with a link mm. say, here's the YouTube link. Uh, there's some brilliant stuff on there, really good. Yeah, I mean the the issue is I think sometimes it's to my all to my taste because people send me videos that this would be really good and I'm like, don't really like it. Nobody on there. It's crazy, isn't it? Um, so yeah. I think there's about 400 on there. I mean, we're getting about two million unique users a year. And as a teacher, it was quite nice. I used to get about, depending on the month, between five and six hundred pound a month on top of my wages. So oh, it was quite nice. That's it. Yeah. And that's all I thought it would ever be, to be honest. Um, and then started talking about asking questions with the films. You know, what people say, how do you use it? And I'd say, well, I stop it at 10 seconds and say, who's this? Why is it a shadow? Why have they not shown you the face yet? And then I'd say, um, why is the sky orange? You know, questions like this. And like, children would say, because it's morning, it's polluted, and they'd be making these. And every answer, and every answer that I get, I say, oh, yeah, it could be. Yeah, it could be. So imagine that story now. Who do you think that person is? And they'd say, I think it's uh, uh, somebody came back from the war and it's early in the morning. Uh, and I'd be like, let's write that down. How would we write that down? And we just write from it. And so people said, well, 
uh, what questions do we ask? So I started writing them, but then it just take, took up more and more of my time. Mm. So uh, I thought I should charge for this because it's my time. I should charge for it, really. Yeah, absolutely. I started selling them, but I think it was £2.49 for mm. 10 films, questions or something. We had three packs of them. And they just started making money, but it became just a real hassle to then get a PayPal £2.49 send them a file to yeah. the email that was on the yeah, yeah. and there was a like hundred a day or whatever. Um, yeah. So, so that just, that just happened for two years. I think it was just, it was just that. And then people started talking about doing CPD. I went to see the head teacher and he said, you could go down to three days a week if you wanted. And I was like, Oh, that's, I don't want to go. I was really thinking I could do a couple of after school sessions and try to get me down to th- three days, three days a week. Um, yeah. He said, it's a, it's 9,000, your salary. I was on, I think I was uh, M6 with TLRs uh, for responsibilities. He said, uh, you lose 9,000, I've worked it out for you, you lose 9,000 pound a year. And I was thinking, I would have took that ages ago to do three, just to do three days. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I said, right. very quickly, Rob, really quickly. Sorry, because it's just too uncanny for me not to mention it. Because that is exactly what we did, and, and we had that exact same thought train as you. And I just want to say that for the listeners and people out there, because you said something which so many people have said to me when I explained to them the money situation because of the way the tax works and the tax, you know, the tax allowance at the start of your, you don't lose that much money, do you, from going to two days down? And and the transformation in like well-being and ability to do something else was crazy. Not if you can just make money doing something else. I, I, mean, I don't mean make nine grand a year, but I know people that do pottery or they do, you know, water, they pursue a passion that gets them a little bit of money and they just don't lose as much as they think they would have done. You know, they work at a school three days a week and they work in a cafe for one day a week or do yeah. tutoring for a couple of days or nights on those three yeah. days and they make up most of it if not all of it um mm. so i did it we this was 2013 i, I, I had some facts about um i had some facts about edger twitter back in 2014 but today a new shredder arrived at the office <laughs> notes are made about edger twitter i've shredded Oh, really. <laughs> that's brilliant that is like, that a metaphor oh, just that note. and all it was was nfe i would written something that uh, in 2012 it was half a billion tweets a day on twitter and uh four and a half million of them were education tweets that was in 2012 and they had at the time um half the number of followers they got now so in two years 2014 in two years they've got i think it was twenty thousand followers and now they've got like 40,000 followers, which shows that at the time in 2012, wow. 13, when I was trying to build an audience, and people find it really hard to build a Twitter audience now, and I think that's why, because there was 4 million, 4 million um, users a day I used to work out for every three tweets, I got a new follower in the early days. Mm. It's nothing like that, right. because it's such a big platform no. now. I mean, it was people were talking about it dying off at that point, 2014, 15, Facebook's going to kill you know, Twitter, Twitter's not going to be around anymore. And it just grew and grew and grew. So I think it's much trickier to build a um, a Twitter platform now. I think I've got 43,000 followers on Reggie Rob, And I've had that for years now, 40-ish, mm. 41, 42. Yeah. It's just not growing because I think people don't follow. Unless you get like mm-hmm. a viral a viral post, you just don't get followers anymore. I got 15,000 followers overnight once. 
and it was a writing no prompt and it was a picture of a raven on a lamppost like with some smoke around it and i woke up in the morning with fifteen thousand new followers and they were all like pretty genuine followers as well is that yeah. is what happened in the day now people curate the curate it they don't want to you know i post a lot of adverts on there for literature shed i know that people go i'm not following him he posts lots of adverts mm. um, it's just not the same anymore I think the way the algorithm works now of like with most social media has definitely killed off that like organic um, idea of like following and liking someone yeah. on social media. I, I think we've even noticed it uh, with our tutoring business you know, a couple of years ago. Um, Facebook was like our absolute main avenue of connecting new, with new with new customers, essentially. And uh, and our Facebook followers were going up and up and up, like quite rapidly. Every day we'd, we'd get like 10, 20 new people and they were genuinely interested in the content we were putting out and i would say the last two years uh, that, that that number barely moves anymore and despite having the same sort of content and things because people just don't want to follow and i think it's because and i do it but it, because there are so many algor algorithms now that say oh we'll just show you things that you're like you don't need to follow anyone these days because if if you look at their content once we'll just we'll just put it on your your page anyway you know even if you haven't followed them and liked them so it's it's definitely so much harder now to build up a genuine audience in that way yeah, it's, it's really hard at it. I always try and find um, people. Uh, what what what's what's changed? What's changed Twitter? You know, and I'm like, I type in Jane. It's not got the word Jane in it, so it's not that. Is it? Was it missing something? Mm. Was it? Is she under? And I just can't find them. Yeah, through, mm, yeah scroll so through messages, try and find them. Oh, there they are. I could then refollow them, email them. What is your Twitter handle? I can't find you. I'm like we've been friends for twenty <laughs> years or whatever. Um, <laughs> so yeah. true. So. Well, I was on on Twitter. Sorry, really quickly on Twitter because I want to. We we went onto Twitter when we first started teaching. So we first started teaching about 2015, 2014, 2015. I remember we both tried Twitter, mm -hmm. and we kind of got a bit into it, but it was like it was okay. But you have to kind of it, like you said, it was easy to build a following if you like put yourself, put your mind into it and stuff. But we didn't really dip dip our toes that much into it. We recently came to Twitter like a couple of months ago, just where we're starting the podcast, and we're like, oh well, let's let's link up with people and let's see who's out there. And I was shocked to see Twitter that the main timeline in Twitter now isn't even who you follow. There's, there's, a, there's a brand new timeline which you automatically go to, which is literally just algorithmic tweets that Twitter thinks you want to see. And I didn't know for the first week that I was looking at a feed which didn't have my followers in it. And I was thinking, I've, I've not followed this. I mean, I've clicked one and this person keeps coming up. And there's nothing to do with education. It was like some kind of, you know, this guy was doing a walk for a charity or something. And I obviously clicked on it once to see what he was doing. And every day at the top of my feed was this guy. And I was like, wait, I'm trying to build up an education thing here. And I'm ending up watching these memes that Twitter now thinks I spend my time looking at, which clearly I have. So it's, <laughs> it's so true. It's completely transformed. And, you know, we're, we're at the situation where we're trying to, you know, just widen our audience. And it is hard. It is certainly hard. So that, that idea of, do you think that literacy, literacy Shed really benefited from those early days? Did that help you grow? Oh, massively. And I remember, this is what I was talking about, the CPD. Um, CPD used to be really expensive for schools. It was like, it was just cost a fortune, I think. And then I think we were sort of pioneers in bringing the price down. So Lee, Lee mm. Parkinson and I, before he was ICT Mr. P, this was at, we were on Twitter. We'd been introduced by a mutual friend. And um, we said, let's do it half a day each. You do the apps and the, the you know, stuff he's famous for, and I'll do film and writing. They got sort of married together. So he did apps and I did, and we just 
we didn't have a website at that point. We had Lisbon and Shed, but just a free site. Didn't even mention, um, it didn't really mention um, CPD, etc. And we just started selling tickets on, on Twitter. We got a date. We phoned up um, Old Trafford Cricket Ground, Lancashire Cricket Ground. Beautiful yeah, room. Yeah. And they were like, well, yeah. I think it's 35 quid ahead and you need 500 quid deposit or something. And we were like, we haven't got any money for deposit. So we started selling tickets in the hope that we'd get to 500 pounds. <laughs> we sold tickets. This was in 2013, I think. We sold six or 10 years. Wow. We sold tickets for 185 pound each. And we got around wow. 150 people rocked up on the day. Uh, no Gaz Needle that day, Rich Farrow. Um, you know, at Mr. Farrow, at Gaz Needle was there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's loads of like famous Twitter people there as well. And um, so, yeah, we made like 10 grand each that day. First day. Oh, that is unreal. First day. Like, we'll, do, we'll, we'll, we'll do this again. Oh, I went, yeah, I went back to the school. I said um, to the head teacher, um, he was a great head teacher, by the way. He, I said, can I do more of those days? He said, yeah. He said, um, <laughs> do one a term. If you want to do one a term, you can. Uh, just give a donation to the school for the price of the supply. And he said, I'll still pay for your salary because it's really tricky just to get it off and that. So I had to pay. I had to give money to, uh, to him. To the school. Wow. Not a bad trade off. Oh. Not a bad trade off. Here's a set of uh, Hi, Rob. Uh... Yes, yeah, so there were five or six Rob. of those and everyone loved it. Rob, there's been a donation to the school of 10 grand. Is that. Oh, sorry, mate. Yeah, sorry. I just <laughs> didn't mean to put those extra zeros on there. But, I mean, the thing is, we never made that. I never made that much money ever again in a thing. First one, you'd become sort of Twitter famous almost, and then everyone had seen it. So, yeah, you know, yeah, you know we've still got 100. Sometimes we get 80, 90. I think today, though, I'd struggle to get 50, you know, and mm. I think it's just because people can't afford it. You know, 185 yeah, quid yeah. plus the price of supply was something every school could do two, three times a week. Now, they just haven't got a no chance. They just can't do it. It's supply no agencies have changed, so they cost you a fortune, and they just haven't got, they just can't afford 180 quid for. A teacher to go out or yeah. two teachers. I think last time I tried to do one, it was a hundred. They were doing a hundred and twenty quid or two for a hundred or something crazy. Uh, we definitely felt that squeeze mm. in schools. Like I can just say from personal experience, I do feel like those opportunities to do that have just been have been squoze, you know, over the years. And it's just, it's just budgets, you know, but they're just they're just not as forgiving as they once were for those sorts of opportunities, which are objectively amazing opportunities that we so should be doing. Otherwise, I think we're just COVID gave us. It gave us a bit of an excuse in school from a lot, I think, to kind of be like, well, you know, COVID, we can't do it. We can't do it anymore either. Mm. And I think like, a lot of people realized actually, you know, with the energy bills going up and stuff, there's, there's not been that money that's come back in. And I think it's been very easy for a lot of schools to kind of just, you know, just, you know, well, we're going to buy into this scheme and hopefully the scheme's self-explanatory and you can we can rely on staff in school to look at it in their own time and then kind of deliver that themselves at a much lower quality because they're not the people who designed the, the things they're actually training them mm. on. Um, so there's definitely been that I think one thing Rob we wanted to talk to you about because like you said it sounds like you're quite passionate for that that idea of writing in terms of that's how it all started with the prompts and really engaging the children to want to write because there's been a lot of things lately and I think it's to do with the curriculum and I'm wondering what your opinion is on this because I think the the, the excitement and the quality of engagement with writing has been in steady decline in almost the same way as being as us as teachers have become more and more prescriptive 
And I find that as a teacher, I spend most of my time worrying that children have got a fronted adverbial and a prepositional phrase and are mixing their varied sentences with certain conjunctions. And I'm not inspiring these children through choice to create really good pieces of writing. Yeah. I'm wondering what you think the the kind of your opinion on the curriculum and its direct impact on that for children. Um, obviously, there's too much grammar too soon. And I remember being in a HMI meeting years ago when the grammar curriculum came out. Um, and there's two things I always remember. One thing was that the head of HMI at the time, I can't think of a name, I said that she would enjoy watching me read with a group of children for half an hour uh, and the children all listen to me read and clap at the end when we finish. And I went downstairs and said to the, uh, I'd asked the same questions to the HMI earlier downstairs. And they said, oh no, you'd have to be asking questions. You'd have to be interrogating the children about what they'd heard read. And I said to the the HMI, this is my contrary coming out again. I said to the head of HMI, (laughs) I said, well, you need to go downstairs and tell the other HMI officers who've just told me something different. (laughs) And so she was like, so I remember that. That was one thing that was there. And then the other thing was the grammar. There was somebody that had been involved in writing the grammar appendix, which I've always got on my desk, but they had been shredded. Uh, (laughs) This new shredder. What else is in this shredder? Yeah, jeez. I'm always looking year four or year five, year five or year six. Um, Careful, your Mac will end up in there in a minute. <laughs> it's industrial smoke one. It's smoking. Um, <laughs> and he said, um, it was never supposed to go out like that. That's what he said. It was never supposed to be used as it is. It was never supposed to be a full curriculum. It was never like fully signed off by the people who wrote it. And it was supposed to have this transition to years into key stage three. And because, of the, because the funding ran out, I think I can't remember now, Please, nobody quote me on this who's listening. They never actually yeah. enmeshed it into the year seven and year eight. So some of that stuff that would have moved into year seven and year eight ended up just stuck on the end of year six. Because it would... Mm, that would explain so much. They never much. had that chance to be drafted into the older year groups. Just like, well, yeah. that'll do. Staple it together, yeah. send it out. So, yeah, it's just too much you don't need, isn't there? There's just so much that actually as a writer you don't need. Writers manage without knowing these things. Writers manage without... Putting in colons and semicolons. Who hated colons? Hemingway, I think, was it? But oh yeah, yeah. yeah. You don't need to. But also, what I find is with the curriculum, right? It's fine to have all that grammar stuff. It's fine. But I've observed, I've observed teachers before where they they just say, right, today we're learning about um, active and passive verbs, and I'm like, is that what you're learning? You're writing lesson. You're learning, and they're writing some sentences. The, I'm not going to say which is which. They'll say like the cat yeah, was yeah, kicked no. <laughs> by the the cat was kicked by the person. The person kicked passive or whatever passive versus yeah. <laughs> and I'm like yeah. they're just random senses because why is this person kicking a cat? You know, the cat yeah. was kicked by the person. <laughs> yeah. The cat was put in the bin. You know, you're like it's cat Zuma. Yeah, what? <laughs> Straight in the shredder. Well, Where's the inspiration? Well, <laughs> yeah, that is it. So the kids are like, this is well, this is really boring. But then. You know, yeah. read them the opening to Wild Boy by Rob Lloyd Jones, and it talks about the fog creeping through the city. You know, uh, the city was smothered by smothered by the fog. Well, then at that point, when you go right, we're going to describe mm. this fog as a creature. It's a, it's a it's a simile, it's metaphor. This fog is engulfing the city. When you'll say, look at that sentence. He says the fog smothered the city. The city, the houses were smothered by the fog. Why do you think that? the author, Rob Lloyd-Jones, is put there 
the city was smothered by the fog and here he's put mm. fog was smothering the city. There's a perfect example of someone who's out doing passive voice in a piece of writing and the kids are going, this is the best piece of writing I've ever done, the best opening to a story ever. And you say, well, we could write that, couldn't we? How could we write it? You know, and yep, this, is, yep. this is the active, this has this effect and this is the passive, this has this effect. Brilliant. And then move on. If you write, let's, yeah. write descriptive, yeah. let's write a descriptive paragraph. Let's have some weather coming in. It could be clouds, it could be fog, it could be rain. Try and make it active. Try and make it passive. Here's an example on the board. Right, there we go. Grammar done. That's, obviously, it's not done, but it's done for mm. that session. And then tomorrow, we're doing something else. The boy, the new character enters. The boy enters the room. The room was entered by the boy. One of them sounds rubbish, doesn't it? Mm. Who says the room was entered by the boy? <laughs> <laughs> That's an example of when we shouldn't really use passive voice. Yesterday. Right, job done. Let's use active today. To that is how you should teach grammar with very few yeah. exceptions yeah. where you go, nobody really understands this. Mm. And that, as a teacher, I don't understand it either. So we're going to do one half an hour on it. If it comes up in the grammar test, we're all screwed. But the rest of it should be taught through your reading, and you're writing, you know, but you're doing something really creative in that writing. Like you're looking at Frank Cottrell Boyce, the opening of Frank Cottrell Boyce's Framed when he describes the whole town as grey. So I, I don't know if you know it, it says, oh, everything is slate. Yeah. Slate walls, slate schools, slate gates. We've even got right. a slate doorstep and all this. And the whole town is grey, apart from the Elvis mural. That's what he says, apart from the Elvis mural and the cars. And that's the end of the <laughs> opening, like the end of the prologue. So I said, like, this is a great way of writing a setting using colour. Let's look at how what the grammar he uses. He uses he uses like uh, dashes for pauses in it. So I said, look, why does he use a dash for a pause though? Why have we got this big dash here? We could do that with our writing. Oh, they're done. Talk dashes. So that is that is the way, isn't it? That's the way to teach variation, I think, to children in their writing. It's not. It's not why we all fall trapped uh, all into this trap, which is. We're going to create variation in our writing because today you're going to use semicolons and tomorrow you're going to use dashes mm. and then your writing yeah. is going to be varied. And I think that grammar test is, is that looming pressure, the grammar test. Mm. Can we stop thinking about the grammar test? We need to be thinking about writing and reading like you're saying. But I mean, I've got no problem if we did it, none of the, ki none of the kids put it in. So that that is a thing where <laughs> I think sometimes the success criteria, we say to children, if you want to be successful, you could do this. And then they choose not to put it in. Then you can't really see if they've done it or not. I'll come back to that in mm. a second. But if children haven't got something, yeah, do a five-minute refresher. Do it 10 minutes at the beginning of a lesson where you're going through a PowerPoint. Is this active? Yes. Is this passive? Yes. Is that camera in the right place? Yes. Is that one in the right place? No. Do it on your whiteboard. Show me. Right, 10 minutes done. Let's get on with our reading and writing. Not mm -hmm. for 40 minutes or 50 minutes or mm. as part of a carousel. Uh, but something that I like to practice grammar with is, is um, slow writing which is a David Dido invention, where you say, in this sentence, you must use a five words. In this sentence, you must use uh, well, um, a word with a T-I-O-N uh, suffix. So yeah, I've used a bit of that before. I remember um, people just arguing about that, saying, oh, you're stifling creativity. And it's the opposite. You're actually more creative. <laughs> you know? yeah. you, it's the opposite of stifling. Because if you say to a child in this sense, in this second sentence, you must use a simile or you must use onomatopoeia, then they've got to be creative with what they're going to write. You know, if you say to a child, write with a story of Little Red Riding Hood, they go, 
Once upon a time, there was a little girl and she wore a red hood and she went into the forest and she picked some flowers and saw the wolf and she spoke to the wolf and the wolf said boo and she ran off. But if you say you must start your first sentiment on a matapaya, mm. and they've got rid of once upon a time already and they go, crash. What was that crash for? You know, they've started with bang. What was the bang? And you've got to be creative because how do you get the word bang or crash into the beginning of the little red riding hood? Only, <laughs> by, only by being creative. So um, I love doing that. You know, give the children some really rigid rules to write by and they just flourish creatively. And I think sometimes teachers say to me, oh, the, the more able writers find it difficult. That's because they used to just go in, blah, 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 blah. It's Formula. Writing. It's beautiful, but... Yeah, yeah. Same every time. So here, think. It's often what separates the um, like expected writers from greater depth. You know, when you go to writing moderation, which I've re recently been to, so it's fresh in my mind. <laughs> and, and it is because you get those formulaic writers who are incredibly good at just understanding anything you teach them immediately. You know, this is what a simile is. Cool, yeah. got it in. This is how you use semicolons. Bang, in there. You know, this is the parenthesis is punctuated like this. Boom, in there. And it's in every single piece of writing. But you can always separate them when you sit there and you look at two children. Uh, you can separate the children who are very intelligent formulaically and the children who have had exposure to maybe a, a wide range of books and creative ways of writing sentences and their work just, it just reads different. It, and that's, you know, we say that that's better. And I, I always argue that um, you can be a great writer as a child without necessarily reading lots and lots of books if it's taught well. And, you know, I have this argument, I've had this argument, not an argument, that's the wrong word, but I've had this discussion <laughs> with Frank Cottrell Boyce, with Mad Evans, in the same room as Piers Torday, and they sat listening to me, and they don't agree. I think they nod and smile sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I say, mm. you're an author, a well-famous author, and you stand and say to people, um, because I was just giving all these books to a child, Mrs. Jones used to read to us, every day in year six, and she read all these books and she shared books with her all the time. And now teachers don't do that. It's, we're losing our writers. And I said, well, so you, all 30 children in Miss George's class are all number one best-selling authors. They write every day for, for fun. They continue to write and they're all amazing authors. No, it's something else. It's not that. It must be. Otherwise, mm. everyone would be an author who was read at primary school. My teacher read his own books. I'm still in contact with him because I went to school with his son. And I, I always say to him, do you remember when he used to read this? He wrote a book about uh, Bonfire Night. I know it was all mm. set in around the school. So, like the streets where we lived, it was all set in those streets. Amazing. And when we have, like, when I see people in primary school, do you remember, do you remember that story about Bonfire Night, Mr. Leading Road? And uh, he was off ill and they threw it away. The <gasps> yeah. Oh, so, no. But, you know, he inspired, he inspired me to write by, by that. But I think if you could do high quality modeling with something that children really want to write about, you don't have to read books, you know. You can introduce vocabulary enough that children could do it. You can introduce techniques enough that children can write well and write to a standard that they're enjoying. I don't think it has to always mm -hmm. be from a text. And sometimes that's – I talk about this as well. It's not embedded in research, but I think the research by National Literacy Trust says not all children like reading. I think it says one in 10 – you know, 19% of children it was when I last read it said – if the friends do the read for pleasure, they'd be embarrassed. You know, stuff like this. So they're not reading. And it's not because everyone's on iPads anymore. It's because they've always not read, you know? Yeah. And people go, and often with so teachers, true. teachers go, well, I always read as a, as a kid. And so did I, because my parents made sure I did. But other, there was other kids in my class, didn't it? My brother didn't read very much at all. 
He beat yeah. Andy McNabb. That's it. Bravo to yeah. Hero and Chris Ryan. Um, and he's got better as he's become an adult at reading. Uh, mm. Not better as in he could he could always read. He's just got better <laughs> sitting, making time to read. I think that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I lost my train of thought. What was I talking about? <laughs> no, it was it was in general about how um, kind of you mentioned how you you don't need to have to read all the time to be a quality writer. And I think the the thing that you're kind of coming around to that I really do believe in from the kind of prompt I said at the start was I think children have to be in a position where they're excited or passionate or have something they want to get this, down on paper. This is what I was gonna, something that prompts. This is what I was going to say about the books that if children don't like reading. It cannot be a good prompt for writing. Because if you say, yeah. we're going to write about this book, and a kid goes, I hate reading. Yeah. And so true. We're going to read this, and then you're going to write yeah. about it. Yeah. You're going to read this, and we're going to write about it. They go, I hate reading. You, go, you can't do because we've got a reading for enjoyment policy. So, <laughs> Please don't. Please yeah, don't hate yeah. reading. <laughs> then they go, well, I don't like writing now either, because I've had to read, and it's yeah. boring. I hate reading. And now you make me write about that boring thing. Yeah, you're so right. I, do you know, and, and I, just my own life, I am that kid, by the way. I, I did not read at all growing up whatsoever. Uh, but I really liked creative writing. And I and without blowing my trumpet, I wasn't bad at it. You know, I'm sure there are children that are better. But it, it didn't doesn't tally up. And I've always had that in my head of me thinking, I was quite good at creative writing. I was often praised for my creative writing. And I genuinely never read ever. I never read anything. So clearly there was something else going on in, in my education that was allowing me to enjoy this process and be good at it because I and it wasn't through reading because I didn't enjoy doing it. But well, people say to me, children can't tell stories about reading a book. So I say, go stand in the playground. You know, mm. go stand in the playground and watch them play. And one of them's a superhero, one of them's a different planet, one of them's a troll, one of them's mm. this thing. And they're all off the TV or something. You know, when I was at school, we used to play turtles. Uh, and I'd be like, right, you're Leonardo, you're Donatello, I'm Michelangelo, <laughs> I'm the orange one with the nunchucks, I like pizza. Donatello, you've got the staff, you're the purple one. Yeah. Raphael, Leonardo, you're going to argue about being the leader. Then we're going to, oh, a girl wants to play. Right, you can break O'Neill and you get kidnapped by Shredder, Bebop and Rocksteady. They take you over there. We're going to come out the dark sewers. We're going to creep out the dark sewers. <laughs> I never read a turtle's book. No. In mm. my life. Talk to a kid about Minecraft. My boys now, the younger ones, they'll play Minecraft. They'll say, what's going to be Minecraft? They'll tell you this whole story about a map and yeah. where they've been and underground lore. And I said, what have you built underground lore for? And they go, well, hide it from these end of things. I don't know all the things. You know, I think <laughs> sometimes as teachers, because we, we don't understand what it is that the children are talking about, you know, they're writing a story about creepers and zombies and ender dragons. You go, oh, that's not highbrow enough. You have to write about mm. this thing. You know, I've, I've got lessons where we wrote about mountain biking, where we write about, um, oh, you've seen all the films on this set, all kinds of things that the children have not yeah, read about yeah. before. And they love telling stories. We use Titanium, the music video, um, and it's about a boy that blows up. He's like, but you don't know what he is. You don't know if he's an alien or a superhero. I've had children say to me, he's a ghost, he's already dead. And all these different stories start coming out. And then all I did yeah. was help them frame it and say, well, how would you write mm -hmm, yeah, that? How would you write that? And then sometimes yeah. I go, that's a bit like this text. Let's have a read of that. This, this little paragraph here will read. Yep. Because what you're describing there has been described really well by this author. How good's that? And they go, yeah. So why don't you try and write like that? Just, uh, get them engaged in it. Get them interested in what they're writing about. But then once you've got them hooked and they feel confident, I'm a good writer, and all they've been writing about is 
you know, Minecraft and Mario <laughs> and Sonic and then Fortnite or whatever. And you've got, that's a brilliant piece of writing. Do you think that you could write about this? That's not, that's not that, you know, it's similar because where you've got that person rescuing um, a princess from an ender dragon, could it not be a troll because we're writing fairy tales? Could it not be this because we're writing about this? Oh, yeah. Mm. It's really easy then for them because they see what they've done and done really well and then moved into the the realm that you want them to be in without going, actually, that stuff you do at home isn't worthy. And I think that's what we say sometimes. The literacy that children have at home is often an iPad, a television, a mobile phone screen. And at school, we say, that literacy you're doing isn't worthy of what we do in school. And we need to say it is worthy. It's it's some amazing stuff. You could write about it. So I'd like to bring the kind of conversation around to a closing point, I guess. Some, something that's that's going to be useful for... We've got a lot of um, younger listeners. We look at the stats. It's really interesting. And, and I think we have a lot of teachers that listen who are maybe at the beginning of their career as well, who I imagine would have just found a, a whole wealth of valuable points from everything you've just said. But let's try and let's try and like bring it together now. And I'm going to ask you a question. It might be difficult to answer succinctly just because there is so much stuff. But if let's put ourselves in the shoes of maybe a, a newly qualified teacher now who is looking at writing like I did and thinking, wow, this is the hardest subject to teach out of all the subjects. Because arguably that's what I think. I think it is the most difficult thing to get your head around as a teacher. If you were just to give them a little bit of advice, a, a bit of wisdom from, from Rob Smith's brain, what would that wisdom, what would that advice be uh, to those teachers who are looking to you know, teach writing well for their children? I mean, I think it's just don't be afraid to try things out. You know, if I'd listened to the first person to me, don't use film. You know, and I still have people <laughs> saying to me, we don't use film in your writing. Then literature wouldn't be the word it is. And I don't think people around the country would be using films as much as they are now. Because the national strategies, remember the national strategies at NNS and NLS? The good thing they had in it, they had a film in year four, the shirt machine, and the piano in year five. And I, oh, yeah. and I said to the year four teacher, do you want to do the shirt machine? She said, no. I said, well, I'll do it. I'll do the shirt machine and I'll do the piano. Um, and, and I got two amazing pieces of writing from it. Two amazing pieces of writing. And my thing then was, what made that amazing, that writing? Was it the film? So I then used another film. And I still go to schools now and they say, every year group does one film unit a year. And it's the best writing we get all year. And I said, well, why do we do one then? Yeah, yeah keep more. going. So... <laughs> Um, I would be try things out and be brave. And if someone says, you made that decision, has it worked or not? And so, and if someone says that won't work, then show them a writing and say, has this worked? Look at this, look at this writing. You know, slow writing. If people said to me, that stifles creativity, then I would never do it again if I followed their advice. So I think it's that, it's that be, be brave and try it with your class. It's, we've got time to experiment, haven't we? We've got five hours a week. If for half an hour something didn't work, God, that, that didn't work. You know, I've ripped pegs out of kids' box and said, right, everybody, that didn't work very well, did it? And they all go, no, Mr. Smith, we, we found it hard or it's boring or like, let's not rip it out quick and let's not tell anybody about it. Because <laughs> Brilliant. why does it need to be there? You know, if I've done something terrible, I'll just shred it. So it's not... Uh, <laughs> You're in that shredder again. <laughs> it's not needed. So let's not leave it there. Let's not keep a record of our failures. And, you know, as a group, we can fail. Um, I think, again, it's about building that relationship so you can do that, isn't it? You know, I said to my children, 
we have to do these things, and it's called the boring things. And people say to me, you shouldn't call anything boring. It's really important. So it is boring. The seven. Mm. You know, being important and being boring yeah. don't they? They're not you're not one or the other, is yeah. it? It can be both. That's it. We do the boring things, and then we'll do the fun bits. You know, we'll do this, and then you get you get this as a reward. And I don't mean we'll do boring maths, and then you get fun PE. You know, yeah. some things yeah, yeah, yeah. some things in maths are a bit boring, and some things in maths yeah. blow your mind. You know, and then I go, well, so we have to do this. We have to learn this bit because then we get to do this bit about it. Um, listen to learners' interest. It's that thing about. That home literacy is so important, you know that, and that home language and home life, and um, you know, just just talking to them about what they eat, what they do at home, what stories they've read. You know, I had children come to me and say, "I've read this story. I've never heard of it before. I've never heard of this book." And they'd say, "Tell us about it," and they would tell you about it, and then everyone's interested because it's the cool kids telling you about it, and then you read a bit of that book and then write about that. Um, uh, what I would say is, if you think something's boring for you to teach, try and jazz it up so that you're interested and you're enthused about it. Because children know that children know if you're enthused about it or not, um, and then and then and then hopefully they'll become enthused about it. And don't, I mean, don't jazz it up for the sake of it. Do it because it's another valuable learning experience. You know, don't say right, we're all going to go outside to write today. Go outside because you're describing clouds. Go outside because you're outside. Yeah. You know, what's it sound like if a plane goes overhead? Can you hear anything? You know, and suddenly go, uh, it was a busy day and the sound of planes were roaring overhead. Well, I, I say, let's all go outside a sec. Can you see that plane up there? Yeah. Is it roaring? No. What's it doing? Okay. <laughs> but how could we describe it? Oh, it's got white crisscrosses across the sky. Beautiful. Let's all go back inside, carry on writing. It could have, yeah. It's the point. You know, I'm one of those teachers that Google's in the middle of a lesson and they'll say, um, oh, yeah. what, my, I tried my yeah eight boy the other day was was writing something, and I said it doesn't do that though. It doesn't do that, does it? They don't <laughs> they don't make that sound. They don't know what sound do they make? And I played it, and they went, oh yeah, yeah, oh, and they described it a different way. But you know, sometimes they don't know, do they? I taught kids that Nothing. never been to the park, never been to the beach, never been to a castle, and then you say, right, I want to write about that. I want to write. That's such a good point. Year two, I want to imagine you're a poor person. In London, in 1666. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh yes, I know exactly what that's like. <laughs> and you just have that one kid at the back who's actually from London and say, "Oh, this is what I've been waiting for, guys. Let's go." <laughs> the rest of the class, no idea, no idea. Uh, Rob, this is really valuable, valuable advice, and uh, echo exactly what you're saying. And I think the idea of building that confidence for me personally, I felt like my teaching practice improved exponentially after I had that confidence to be like well you know well, actually halfway through this lesson that doesn't work for me and I'm not you know bonded to this lesson plan even though I spent hours maybe planning it uh, in the moment building up that confidence to be like no actually I'm going to do this because I think that it will have this effect on their writing on their outcomes really powerful thing for uh, and I, just very quickly, Rob, in the last podcast, I said powerful about seven times and I've had numerous messages from people saying, was it really powerful, that podcast? <laughs> so I just had to get it in there again. I think it's a really powerful thing for uh, for younger teachers to to realise, definitely. I don't know about you, Dylan, but I feel like I've, I've, I've learned loads just listening to you, Rob. I feel like I could listen to you for another two hours, but I don't want to take up all your time. Um, but I just want to say on behalf of everyone, thank you so much for sharing a lot of your, your story, really, to be honest with you. You're sharing your story. You had a lot of anecdotes that 
we, you know, I can tell you're a good writing teacher because I was in my imagination a lot of the time when you were talking, just yeah, th thinking about what you were saying. And I know that the, the listeners, teachers in particular, will leave this episode feeling like they can put something into their, their English lessons. So really, really appreciate that. Um, thank you for coming on and chatting to us today as well. My pleasure. Thanks a lot for listening to this week's episode, guys. If you enjoyed it, do give us a subscribe and a rating on your Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And we are back over the summer holidays. We will not stop every single week on a Friday. You have a new episode to listen to. Do tune in. See you next time.